Welcome to the Whiny Palooza Podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Green. I'm a wife, mother of three, and licensed clinical social worker. I also have three fur babies at home, too. My passion has always been to help children and their families. I always dreamed of being a wife and a mother. Parents are always learning through their struggles, failures, and successes and joys. I am no stranger to this wild ride of parenting, and I know behind every great parent lies a team of supportive friends and family. I want to be part of your support system. I want you to know that you are not alone. We are in this parenting world together. Join me every week for insightful discussions with experts on parenting and marriage, as well as other parents who have found the secret to successes in parenthood. You'll learn tips and tricks to make life with your family better than ever. I hope you will follow along with me while we dive into what it takes to achieve a happy family. Rebecca Green for the Whiny Palooza podcast. And I am so excited to have Patty Dedur with me today. She is a neurodivergent author and advocate who educates and provides resources that are impactful to individuals looking for guidance on an engaging neurodiverse platform. She is the CEO of Sensing Greatness, which will be publishing her book about a goat with ADHD this year. She has also been a physical therapist assistant for almost a decade and works closely with all therapy departments. Patty, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here and talk with you. I'm excited to have you and I'm going to jump in because I know what everybody is thinking right now. So I'm going to ask it. (laughs) What does neurodivergent mean? So so there's a lot of different uh, neuro terms out there. There's neurodiversity, there's neurodivergent. Um, So neurodivergent is the individual itself that had their brain functions a little differently. So it could be ADHD, dyslexia, autism. There's a whole gamut of them. There's quite a few. Um, And then neurodiversity is just the whole inclusive group of everybody. Okay, so I am embarrassed to tell you that you're introducing me to that term. I had to look it up oh. when, I was, when I was reading about you. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, what does this mean? <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for explaining that. Can you tell us how you got started helping neurodivergent people? So I was diagnosed with ADHD like 20 years ago, but really didn't do much with it. Kind of back then there wasn't a lot of resources about it. So kind of just put it in my pocket for later. And then as I had kids and my son started getting different diagnoses, then it just kind of woke this advocate up inside me to try to get him the right resources, the right remediation, the right um, accommodation set in place. So I started just advocating for him and then families would reach out to me and say, how did you get that in place? They're not getting, giving that to me. So I'd help give them like keywords to use and, and what accommodations may be most impactful for them and their child and stuff. Well, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but we know that there are parents listening who are currently trying to advocate for their kids. Can you give them your two cents on, you know, something 
put in place that is working well or some words that you use that were super impactful? What would you tell the parents listening? So probably the biggest um, accommodation that people have the hardest time getting is full teacher notes. Mm. A lot of, and so I'm going to base this on people already have an IEP or five and four in place. So let's say you're trying to get those full teacher notes and you bring it up and if there's any pushback, it's important to know why there's pushback. So in a meeting, bring up, okay, so what, what's the problem with the full teaching notes? Is there, and a lot of times they're going to say that they may not say this in these words, but people think it's cheating to get yeah. these full teacher notes. And it's not at all. It's, it's an appropriate accommodation to put in place for people to get, because if someone is having, you know, a written expression uh, d difficulties or anything where they're, they're struggling to take those notes as the teacher's talking, it's a perfect accommodation to get in place. And then the, the, you know, the kid can have those notes and they can even highlight certain aspects as a teacher goes on. So they're still listening and paying attention. They can even, you know, some kids like to doodle as they listen to the notes too, because it helps them with the, any, if they have fidgeting or anything, sometimes doodling can help. Yeah. Um, so it's a perfectly acceptable accommodation to get. So I know that a lot of people have a hard time getting that one. And there is, um, so, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things we use is called uh, FAPE, so F-A-P-E. So it helps like protect um, the child so they will receive accommodations put in place to keep them kind of at a grade level. And so that's an accommodation that's going to put, let that kid be at grade level with the rest of its peers. Because without those notes, and if that kid's trying to write stuff down and keep on task with everybody else, they're gonna, they may fall behind and then not even know what's going on in the class as they're trying to pay attention to the teacher. You're bringing up so many things, and I think that teachers are wonderful, and I think yes. that psychologists and social workers are wonderful. I'm not discounting them when I say this, but what I'm hearing from you is that we know our kids the best. We, we know what they're struggling with, and I think that what parents don't realize is we're their best advocate, and I love that you have figured out how to help your son succeed. That's wonderful. Yes. yes and helping others. So let's move on to Sensing Greatness. Can you tell us about Sensing Greatness and the resources that you provide? Um, so at this time, because I just started doing this this year in 2021. So at this time we're providing resources, like I have pretty massive accommodations lists that I've, I've put together, either accommodations that worked for, um, one of my kids or just came from the top of my brain. So some of them are very unique to things that came up from my ADHD brain that they may not see elsewhere. And so I have those accommodation lists. I have um, a bunch of different resources in place too, like a sensory diet, because sometimes kids that become overwhelmed or need help with calming, they may need nutrients within their own body as well their whole sensory systems mm -hmm. so sometimes providing a, a sensory um kind of like a overview of different things that they may work on to help them kind of calm and find what may work for them like if they're really getting um upset maybe something like working with you know having a schedule set in place so maybe at 9 a.m they do something related to um, 
smell. So they do like aromatherapy. And then maybe if they're getting overwhelmed at noon, they could do something related to uh, introception because maybe they're not aware they need to use the bathroom because sometimes kids do have difficulty regulating using the restroom and stuff. Mm -hmm. So sometimes they may even need a schedule to use the restroom. Okay. So that's something that can help to put in place as well, this a sensory diet. You're teaching me a lot. Can you tell us about, <laughs> can you tell, well, I don't have ADHD and I don't think my kids do. So I am, I am learning. Um, tell me about yourself. Cause I know you, you have ADHD. What helps you? What are you finding helpful for yourself? Well, I will say thank God for technology because it is so helpful. In one aspect, it could be a total debilitating thing. It really mm -hmm. can. But in the other aspect, it really is something that is so impactful and helps so much. So I am very thankful for technology because I have so many alarms on my phone set for everything. Because ah. I I will forget everything. Even going to the grocery store to get certain things, I have to set alarms to remember to get certain things from the grocery store. I, I need to learn to do that. You know, I just figured out how to alert myself. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't looking at my phone enough and I was forgetting things. And my friend was like, um, I have alarms set. And I was like, I didn't know you could do that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And you can set like weekly reminders too. So like every, it repeats every week certain stuff as well. And every year, like birthdays, put that in your calendar. So and then it repeat it every year. Oh my gosh. See, okay. I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I love, uh, and speech to text, I use all the time too. I love speech to text. Oh, yes, yes. You know what? My fingers get tired of texting, as silly as that sounds. So that's part of why I use it, even though they screw up what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, yeah. But even Google Docs, Docs, if you're on your computer, you can just type, click on the microphone and just speak and it will just type things for you too. So it's really handy for that too. I, I haven't tried that. So you're figuring out what works best for your brain is what yes. I'm hearing. Yes, yes, that's awesome. Tell us about your very cool book that's coming out. <laughs> <laughs> so this is how it all started. Um, I had this idea, and this is not what the book is now, because it's kind of like has changed over time, because that's how ADHD works. Things change over time. It's yep. nothing never stays the same. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So if you want some, uh, di you know, some fun in your life, date someone who has ADHD. Things are always going to change. They're going to keep it real. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. And so but the book originally started, and this term isn't even out there because I looked up the web website and Gmail addresses and everything. So it's going to be called scat and sniff. Oh. So scat's like animal poop. And okay. so it's going to be all about like what animals eat and what their poop looks like. And it's going to be like, not smelling the poop, but smelling like the food that they eat. But then people are like, that's not a good idea. And I'm and I'm like, well, I mean, it's not out there. So I guess maybe it's not. Plus, scratch and sniff books are pretty difficult to make. Yeah. They're they're not they're not easy. So I'm like, I'm like, okay. I'm like, I guess that really won't work. But I like this idea of like getting to know like farm animals and like and, and all that. And then I started just like writing stuff down not even realizing I was writing stuff down that was like ADHD based about like my brain. Like, so when I was writing things down on this whole adventure that this goat was doing, I'm like, okay, this is literally me. 
So without even realizing, I started writing this book about this goat that has ADHD and his his adventures around the farm. So it was kind of funny that with the and people say you write what you write what you know, and obviously this is what I was doing. I was writing what I know, which was ADHD, That's without awesome. even realizing that I was doing that. So what is so what is the book going to be called now? What did you change it to? Well, unfortunately, I still don't have have the exact name because the name I wanted, someone took um, back and they didn't know they took it. So this is not something that they they did. And I may still keep the name, but it was going to be called I'm Just Kidding because his name is Kid and like little goats are called kids. Um, but so I'm just, I'm still coming up with the name and the subtitle. I know the goat itself is going to be called Kid. And the hope is that the launch for the pre-orders will be this summer. They will be this summer. The exact date, I don't know, but they, the pre-orders will be this summer. And then it'll be available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and Walmart and all that stuff well, later I in the fall. Well, I can't wait to check it out. It sounds like a great idea. Yeah, and it's a good way to include more diversity in, in your bookshelves as well because only three, like around 3% of uh, children's books out there Back in like 2020, they did a survey about 3% of the books, children's books out there, children's picture books, feature a main character with a disability. Oh, yeah, we need more of that. Yeah. I know some people don't like the term disability with ADHD, but if you look at the criteria for what is considered disability, ADHD is does meet the criteria for that. Yeah, that... It makes sense. It would be nice if we could get rid of the stigma of that word. Oh, for sure. That's a huge thing. I mean, the stigma of not only disability, but the stigma of, you know, autistic individual as well, and dyslexia. I mean, there's so many stigmas out there for all these different things that just, I think there's a lot of social media platforms out there right now that are happening to help erase that stigma, but I'm not sure the people following those are the people that maybe need help to erase some of the stigma out there. So I think that's helping to get more of of an audience to know like disability is not a bad word. Mental illness is not a bad word. Like these are not bad things. Yes, I would love to see it just become part of our normal language. Like it's just normal to, you know, have have the challenge of, you know, I'm feeling depressed or I'm, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I'm autistic. It would be nice if we would just accept all of these things and not oh, think yeah. that there was something wrong with us. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So tell us what you like best about what you do. I like empowering the, like providing the resources, like the accommodations. I have parents that will email me, ask me questions. At this time, I'm not a coach or anything. So sometimes I have to direct them to other people or other resources, but I try to help as much as I can and just Put it, to help to put the stuff in place so that the kids, as they go through the school system, they become more empowered. They feel like I can do this. I'm, I, I am doing this. I'm with my peers, and they just feel like proud of themselves, proud of the work they're doing. And eventually, the hope is with all these accommodations, they get to a point where they will know how to advocate for themselves to get the appropriate accommodations in place. That maybe they don't have right now, or maybe they don't need any more as well. Like, I don't, I don't need that accommodation. I'm doing, I'm doing good. So that's a good point. Well, and I think that parents don't realize that there's people like you out there who have had success and know how to help them advocate. So I hope that the parents listening hear that, that there are people that can help you. 
Because sometimes they don't know what to ask for too. That's part of it. Oh yeah, yeah, that is very, that definitely. Let's go to the other side. What do you find most challenging right now? What are you finding most challenging? I think something that really frustrates me still is that I worked really hard with my son's school, talking to administrators, talking to the director of special ed, um, the principal. You know, at this point, my son's been diagnosed with like dyslexia and dysgraphia and a, a bunch of D words. And this would have been six, seven years ago. And at that point, the people really educate as much about that as they are now. And so I felt like I was the head person in the room in the IEP meetings because I knew what was going on. I read the books. And so I was, you know, putting these different accommodations in place that'd be good for a child like my son. And then talking to people years later saying, just easy accommodations, like the, the teacher notes saying, the school's not doing this for us. How are you doing that? And I'm like, are you kidding me? I spend so much time working with schools to say, this is stuff that needs to be in place and it's still not being in place. And the same thing with like appropriate intervention of doing um, systemic teaching, like, uh, you know, the multi-sensory systemic teaching with individuals is, instead of doing like balanced uh, teaching and they're still doing like, you know, whatever. I mean, I don't know. So it is very frustrating. So why, I mean, why do you think it takes so long for parents to get these things put in place for their kids? What is that about? I mean, they always say follow the money. So I think a lot of these different programs that some of the schools are using, um, they have a lot of money. So they, they have a lot of push to get, and they put, and schools have put a lot of money into different trainings as well that may have not benefit all kids. So I think sometimes they feel like, let's just see how this plays out with this new training that we're doing. Hmm. And that realizing the training that they're doing or they're putting forward isn't going to help all the kids. You know, maybe it will help this percent, but it, there's tr things that can do to help every single kid. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, being a teacher is not easy. I can't imagine having a classroom. I think my daughter has 26 kids in her oh, class. Oh, yeah. And every kid needs something so different. So I, I, I would not want that job. Yeah. And a lot of times teachers will have no say over what program they use either. That's they have, they have no say it's the administrators. It's, it's all of them making the decision. So as much as a teacher may want to change it, you know, they, it's hard to be the squeaky wheel. And I think there is a lot of, um, you know, I'm a different social media platform. So there is a lot of millennial and younger teachers on TikTok who, or trying to make the changes and you know the older teachers are saying yeah you know we need help please please you know come and help us and do this and help with the changes and you know maybe maybe there will be some some good That'd impactful be, stuff with these younger teachers that would be awesome i would love that i would love to see that happen can you tell us what are some of the most common mistakes that people are making that you're helping them with the most common mistakes um Something that a lot of people, I feel like with IEPs and 504s, people feel like if they get the that 504 may be better because it has less stigma around it. Again, it's this whole stigma thing. They're scared to do the IEP. So I think a common mistake is trying to do the 504 route instead of the IEP, when the IEP is how you're going to help get those, you know, 
intervention to place with the special education teacher. I mean, you can get some services through a 504, like occupational therapy and stuff, which changed in like uh, 2018, I think the Department of Ed changes, so you can get services through the 504, mm. but you can't get, you're not going to get special education remediation through the 504. So I think sometimes people are scared to do the special education route too and, and have the kid go to the special education teacher to do the appropriate intervention. So I think that that's a mistake that people are making is there's no, there's nothing wrong. Again, the whole stigma with the term special education too. I know people don't like that term, but if we just start destigmatizing some of these terms, there wouldn't be this whole like uproar about all these different terms that are out there. It would be nice if they would look at, and I think some parents do, for them to look at uh, an IEP as a strength instead of a weakness. I think some people look at it as a weakness, whereas I look at it like it's a strength that yeah. you have this for your child to help them yeah. be more successful. Yeah, perfect, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, what is the best advice that you have ever gotten? So there is a, a book, well, they have several books now called Rights Law. So it's W-R-I-G-H-T-S-L-A-W, all one word. Okay. And it they have so many amazing resources. And this is like the one of the first books I read was from them when I started this whole process. And they just they talk in a way that parents can understand. So it's not like, it is a law book, but it's, it's spoken in a way that parents can understand. So yeah. they provide amazing resources. Um, and definitely there's, I think, support, support groups too locally can help as well. A lot of them are on Zoom right now. I do have a local support group I, I meet with once a month. So meeting with them, because they can get a lot of resources, information from those local support groups from, from parents as well that may be you know, going through similar things as well that can help. That's such good advice. I think we forget that there's support out there sometimes and that we're not alone. We're not the only one struggling with what we're struggling with. Yep. You know, I try to remind myself that if I'm struggling with something, that that means other people are struggling with it too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's been a tough year and I'm, and I'm, <laughs> I would say most people would say that this has been a very interesting year. How has COVID impacted you and what you're doing for my personal job as a physical therapist assistant it, you could you could answer that however you want in your life in your parenting in your work <laughs> <laughs> okay so in my regular job I'm a, I'm a physical therapist assistant I work with geriatrics and nursing homes so we did have COVID wings so I did work with direct COVID patients that were active oh wow um so, and there was times when the COVID would just run rampant through through the nursing homes. And so employees would have it and then um, the residents would have it. And I, I never had it. We had to get tested. The government, federal government made us start getting tested in like August, I want to say, at least once a week, everyone who works at nursing homes, whether you're payroll, janitor, whatever, you wow. would have to get tested at least once a week to twice a week. So where I'm at, it had to be twice a week we would get tested to see if we have it, to see if we have it, and then the residents would have to get tested as well. So stressful. Yeah, it, it, it was. It's definitely with the with the vaccine and things are lighting up and people can, and you can have visitors again, they can do dining again, there's activities again. Um you know, it's specific to each nursing home because if there's active cases, then it's a little different. But if there's if there's not, then there's a lot of things that are open again. It's really, it's nice. It feels like back to normal almost. It is nice. I'm so glad. Yes, things are changing for sure. 
Yeah. And then as far as like COVID with my kids, my son did online learning the first semester because it was all like, you weren't sure what was going to happen because they were like, so if your child's been exposed, they have to be home for 14 days. And I'm like, so are they getting instruction for these 14 days? Like no one really had answers. And I'm like, how often is, will someone have to be um, quarantined? Like, what are they, what are they considering? And still no one had answers. And we had to make the decision back in like this last spring when things were like at the peak. So I'm like, okay, so I guess we'll just do online for him. And then my daughter was going to go in person and the online was not a good fit. It was, (laughs) these teachers had like twice as big classrooms so a normal class would have you know still a, a way too high of a number for a teacher in these in these mid-20s to low 20s and some of his classes had like 40 kids how were you going to teach an online class with 40 kids that's just that's not a good fit that's a lot yeah for no for any kid that's a that's a horrible fit and it I know our district was like that and I talked to other parents from other districts and it seemed kind of similar with some of them as well that the classes were just way big for yeah. uh, for the online learners. Yeah, well, and I discovered through this how different each of my children are <laughs> with, <laughs> with learning and remote learning and all of that. How old How old are your kids? My son just turned 14 and my daughter's 11 and she'll be 12 next month. Yeah, it's it's hard ages, all of, all of it, all of the ages. I don't think there's an age that didn't have a hard time this year. Yeah, because even like the newborn kids um, that were pretty much hanging out in their house the whole time, like there was this video of this woman taking her kid for the first time to a grocery store, and he was like, just like looking around like, what is this? What is happening? And this kid was like a year almost, and he was like so confused where he was that what was going on. It was actually a very hilarious video. So It's so bizarre. Can you tell us some myths that people have about ADHD? I think people feel like everyone is hyperactive. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I think a lot of people think like everyone who has it is hyperactive. And maybe there's some aspects where you may feel like you're, you're kind of hyperactive, but I think people just think it's like these boys in elementary school that are hyperactive and like can't pay attention and are like running around all over the place, which really is not the case. And people are realizing that. I think a lot of that's changing. But there is still that perception for a lot of people who may not be um, on social media or, or even like in this kind of universe of with younger children and stuff that realize there is still a lot of myths with that hyperactivity. There is the myth as well that it's overdiagnosed, which really, if anything, it's probably underdiagnosed. Yeah. Well, and I think we all throw around terms too easily, like you're acting ADHD, you're feeling depressed, like those are actual diagnosed conditions that, you know, you can't just act ADHD. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, can you give us one action step that a neurodivergent person can take away from today? One step that you would give them. I would say just continue to help to decrease the stigmas that are out there. Just do your part. Um, you know, talk talk openly about it. I mean, until probably earlier this year, even last year, I really didn't talk about my diagnosis at, at all. I talked a little bit of my difficulties with dysgraphia. That's a written expression difficulties. Mm-hmm. But I didn't talk much at all about other things. I talked a lot about my kids because that's what people 
people would know like how I was helping them and stuff and people people in the community that kind of know that but I didn't really talk much about myself and I, I am changing that I do talk a lot more about myself and my difficulties and struggles on social media now so I think that's that's good to put that out there and people just be open about it is good too because I think there's a lot more people who have different diagnoses that may just do masking so masking is where you just try to act neurotypical throughout the day and that's exhausting that's you know it's very exhausting when people when people have to do that I think that's really good advice. Let's let's all help end the stigma. That's what I want to say. Even if we don't have um, a neurodivergent condition, what else do you want to share that I didn't think to ask you? Um, that's a good question. There's a so let me talk a little bit about dysgraphia because that's one thing that I have that I think a lot of people may not be all aware of so it's not people know the term dysgraphia it's not just like messy handwriting it's it's much more than that it can be a child that isn't able to stay in the line when they write um doesn't do correct spatial uh spacing between words or even letters still switches their like i still switch my j's and g's sometimes around even even q's um, sometimes you'll miss whole letters when you're writing a word that you know, you may know how to spell depending on what other, uh, comorbidities you have. Uh, you, you write so fast when you look back, you sometimes can even write, read your handwriting because you've written so, you've written so fast or you miss words or you miss whole letters. And so I think when people are looking at their kids and their writings, if they're still, if they're young and still flipping their letters, that's normal. That That's okay. But if they continue, like, if you're giving them, if they have, like, some kind of homework and it's writing homework and they're just looking at that blank piece of paper and you know they're overwhelmed, they're frustrated, they don't know what to do, you know, there could be some dysgraphia there. And there's, there's some easy things that teachers can do that they probably already may have in place for other kids. So things like sentence starters. So where the, the teacher may actually have um, the first few words of a sentence started for the kid and then they may have other things in there like they may, let's say they have a sentence that says the the child was so that's the first part and then you have to write something and then they may say have the word because and then you have to write the second part so things like that they may already have in place or can e can easily be added um, even if the child doesn't have a 504 IEP it could be something that the teacher could do because they may already have the resources for that and then when kids start typing, there is word prediction software like CoWriter, which is an extension on Google. So you could add a CoWriter extension onto Google because when you and when you type, it will have the next words that it thinks you may want to do. So that can help kids too that have that frustration of being able to write because they don't know what to write because sometimes it can help with the prediction. So like, so let's say someone does have dysgraphia or they have uh, written expression difficulties. They may be able to, as they go, let's say they have IP of 504 and they're doing accommodations, as they go through schooling, they can, you know, do a scaffolding approach. So as they go through the schooling, the accommodations become a little less. So maybe they have to start with sentence starters when they're younger. And then maybe as they get older, 
and they're doing more typing, they work with word prediction software. And then maybe as they get older, they don't need that. So they can just work on a regular program like Grammarly. So, you know, you try to do the scaffolding approach. So as they get, as they go on through schooling, maybe they don't, don't need those, those younger accommodations and maybe they do. And that's okay if they, if they do as well. And they, they need to keep those in place. And that's the same thing with full notes as well. So maybe a child may need those full notes. And as they go on through schooling, maybe they need it guided notes instead. So mm -hmm. guided notes are notes that may have uh, keywords missing that the kid writes down as the teacher talks about whatever, um, the, the lecture is discussing. So guided notes could be a good way to, to scaffold to go to the next level for accommodations. So there's a lot of tools out there that people don't know about is what oh, yeah. I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate everything that you've shared and taught us today. You taught me a lot and I love the work that you're doing. I think you're oh, doing thank you. greatness out there. You're sensing greatness. <laughs> <laughs> always you gotta sense that greatness <laughs> tell everyone where they can go find you i'm probably the most active on instagram so it's sensing greatness like your sensory system sensing and also on facebook as sensing greatness my website is www.sensinggreatness.com i'm on tiktok but not i don't do much on there but definitely instagram is probably the most common place to find me but my website will have some more resources as i keep updating the, the website as well wonderful and we'll we will all look for your book that sounds like a great book thank you so much well thank you so much for being here with me today this was a lot of fun well i appreciate it you're fun to talk to i liked it <laughs> oh thank you so much <laughs> this is rebecca green reminding everyone to spend every day laughing learning and loving Thank you for tuning in to the Whiny Palooza podcast. If you like what you heard, please be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. While you are there, leave a review. I love to hear your feedback. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>